Praise the Lord. Father, I pray that you bless this sermon. It would anoint you. It would be anointed. Father God, I thank you for this chance to share your word. I thank you, Father, for the grace of God that enables the message to be broadcast. And I thank you for those who took the time this morning to listen. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint us with the word of God, that you would help us to hear you. I pray for any soul that does not know you, that, that they will hear the truth and they will turn to you today. I pray for any Christian that is discouraged or afraid or alone, that today they would encounter Jesus in such a way that they would be set free. And I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ, not just to die for us, but to live for us. And I pray that you would just anoint what happens now in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you online or via recording or however that you get to see this. Um, this is still all a little weird. This is like our fourth Sunday that we have been totally online and, and teaching via video. Uh, it's really difficult from my end to, to teach to uh, no one and everyone <laughs> at the same time. But I appreciate the patience and I appreciate so many wonderful things that are happening. I, I can't even begin to say how much I appreciate, one, the prayer. I know a lot of folks have just been bathing our country, our leadership, and myself, and Pastor Steve, and Pastor Michael in prayer. And I just want to say thank you for praying for us. We, we always need that. But right now, as we are in times that we don't always know what to do, we greatly appreciate it. Also, a great number of people have been baking goods, baking bread and sweets and sweetbreads and desserts and sharing them and giving them away at the hospital and our medical facilities. And I just want to say thank you for those who bake, those who've delivered. I, I just appreciate what, uh, what you guys are doing. Uh, I also appreciate you guys who are doing small groups online and you're finding ways for your small groups to meet and you're calling people. And I just appreciate it. And those of you who are just waiting for whatever God has and you're not really sure what to do, I appreciate your patience as well. Who knows, maybe this week we've turned a corner. Maybe there's a light of hope at the end of the tunnel. And uh, and, and from this point forward, we're headed out and, and maybe we'll get to hug each other again. So maybe we should do that right quick. We probably should give each other a virtual hug. So you know how to do it, right? You just swing around this way and swing around that way and you squeeze really tight and you smile really big. It's not the same, I know. But And I just want to warn you, as soon as this thing is over, when I see you, I'm hugging you. Even if you're not a hugger and you know who you are and I know who you are. I may, I may seek some of you people out. And so, but this will not last forever. Uh, the church and people and societies have been under pressure in the past and have endured, and we will too. We'll get through this. And today we're going to celebrate something that is the reason we're going to get through this. We're talking about, and we are celebrating Easter together. It's Easter. Jesus is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. In the first century, uh, I've read reports where they would say to each other, of course, they would say it in their language, not English, but they would say, the Lord is risen and they would respond to each other, He is risen indeed. So I'm going to say that right now. You ready? The Lord is risen. And you're responding with, He is risen indeed. I hope you resonate with that. It's so exciting. So today, on Easter Sunday, I, I don't have a, a sermon about all the proofs of Easter. I've done that in the past. That's not my purpose and not my heart this year. 
You want to talk about proof of the resurrection? I'd be happy to buy you a cup of coffee at six foot distance and uh, and talk to you about it. And maybe soon we could just sit at a normal barista table and chat about it. But that's not my purpose today. My purpose today is to look at the the resurrection story and think about it in terms of the practicality of how it works and helps us in our life. So I this is a very practical approach to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to do together is I want us to walk through this journey and realize that the resurrection of Jesus actually empowers a, a, a righteous, a holy, good, and, and beneficial life today. So we begin with the realization that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we live from a different source. We talk about this a lot, and that is the point of this series. And so we're coming to an altar today that totally remakes us. We jump back into our base text for the whole series in Hebrews. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. You see, Christians live from a different place than they did in the Old Testament. That old crusty prophet with his gnarly finger telling you, Thus saith the Lord, and correcting you, is no more. That old crusty prophet has been replaced with a new kind of prophecy and a new kind of altar. An altar that, that doesn't go back and, and is covered with the blood of animals and stinks with the stench of burned flesh, but an altar that offers real and forever forgiveness. That's what the resurrection does. Jesus took the altar and he flipped it on its head. And now it has a whole new meaning and a whole new place for us as Christians to live our lives from. So we realize now that we live from a different place, not from old sacrifices, old smells, and old crusty prophets, but from Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. And Jesus' way is a better way. Coming through Jesus is a better way. I've said often, I'm going to keep saying it until people start, till everyone believes it. A lot of people do. It is simply this. You cannot walk away from an encounter with God, a meeting with Jesus, unchanged. It just can't happen because the resurrected Lord is that powerful. The resurrection power of Jesus changes our lives, changes our thinking, transforms our viewpoints. For us to understand this, Let's reflect on the meaning of Christ's death as we walk to the resurrection. Let's start with Abraham. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and, and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I wanted to read all of that to you because I want you to think of what Abraham did in the altar that he encountered with Isaac. But what I want you to see in that story 
is how much Abraham loved Isaac. Now, it may not seem like it. You're like, no, he's about to sacrifice his son. He doesn't love him at all. No. This Isaac, the son whose name means laughter, this Isaac is the, the boy that Abraham waited on for 25 years, really his whole life. He wanted a son, couldn't have one. And then around the time that Abraham was 75, God shows up and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And God believed that and for 25 years after that he waited for Isaac to be born and then Isaac was born and 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 he, he he was the apple of Abraham's eye he was the son that Abraham had waited on God for he had been faithful to God for Isaac was Abraham's very heart and even more than that every promise of God was wrapped up in Isaac living and having children himself and so the Bible tells that Abraham believed God. And I want you to, to climb into this moment with Abraham as he's looking at his son on this altar, prepared to sacrifice his hopes, his dreams, the promises of God, everything he believes in. And, and, and before we move from that moment, I want you to consider just how clarifying that moment was for Abraham. How everything was coming into focus for him, everything he loves is on an altar before God right now. Remember this. We're coming back to it, okay? But let's see what the word says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. You see, as Abraham looked at that moment, looked at his son, thought about what he was about to do, Abraham had one underlying thought. It was a thought of, a, of an ordinary faith. It was a thought that said, I believe God. God said that all my hopes and all my dreams are in this child. God said that my future comes from Isaac. God said all these things. I don't know what's about to happen. I know what I'm about to do. But I know that no matter what happens here today, when I leave here, I'm leaving with my son. That's something Abraham believed with all of his heart. Why? Because Abraham knew God was good, man. Abraham knew that God was faithful. Abraham knew that God wouldn't abandon you. God wouldn't fail you. That God honored what he said he was going to do. Abraham knew all of those things. Abraham knew that if you messed up and wandered from God, he would come find you. Abraham knew that if you failed your family, embarrassed your wife, and tried to do things in your own strength that even make God look back, God would always take you back. Abraham knew that even if you had wandered off to Egypt because you were hungry, that sooner or later, when you came back, God would be ready to receive you. Abraham knew that God was good. Abraham knew that God was good. He knew he wouldn't have that son without God. And he knew all his future depended upon God. He loved that son with all of his heart. And he trusted God even more. So if you are out there and you think for a second that you are too far from God and that there's no way back for you, you just don't know. 
you don't know. You don't know how much God loves his sons. You don't know how much God loved his son. And you don't know how much God loved his sons. You know, you and I cannot imagine how much God the Father loved Jesus Christ. I mean, we hear verses, scriptures that resonate with us. Like, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Which is kind of like saying, I'm so proud of this boy. Or the passage in Hebrews that quotes a psalm that over Jesus says, You are my son. We can't even begin to fathom the love God the Father has and had for God the Son. All pictures of the Old Testament. The, the love of Abraham for Isaac. The love of Jacob for Joseph. The love of David for Solomon. All these illustrations of a father's love for a son, they, they, they all pale in comparison to the love of God the Father for love, the love of God the Son. They had been together since eternity past. They had always existed in perfect unity together. They had always shared essence and presence and definition and expression, not, not just of themselves, but of love. They had only known perfect harmony, perfect unity, and perfect love. You see, God is a being with complete self-awareness. There are no hidden places in God. God never is surprised, even with himself. He always knows knows who he is. He's also perfectly secure. God has no wounded places within him, no unforgiven moments, no, no wounds that rise up into crazy behavior. God is perfectly secure. He is the only being in the universe that's absolutely, completely, and entirely capable of perfect love, which is why the Bible says that God is love. John was trying to teach us that God is the definition of love. He is the definition of of love because he has in him no fear whatsoever you see that's that's how he loves completely because he fears nothing he can totally reveal himself be completely authentic and transparent and that love will come through so here you have god of the universe able to perfectly love saying i love you I love my son when he says it. It means incredible and powerful things. We'll never be able to understand how much God loved Jesus. But that over here, you're going, well, yeah, of course God loves Jesus. He's perfect. He's God. But he's not me. Well, hang on. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. God's son whom he loved more than anything you and I could ever understand. God's son went to the cross and everything that he suffered, he suffered for someone else. He was arrested for someone else. It was someone else's arrest he endured. Someone else's conviction. The beatings, the humiliation, the public mocking, the embarrassment, the harassment, all of that was someone else's. That wasn't Jesus's to endure. That belonged to someone else, the scourging, the ridicule, the nails. 
all of it, the hanging, the thirst, the agony, the cries, just the full and utter and complete condemnation of the whole affair, all of that was for someone else. It wasn't for him, God's son whom he loved. He put through all of that for someone else so that someone else could be made whole. Someone else could be made strong. Someone else could be set free of their punishment, released from grief, forgiven forever, put back together, healed of disease, completely restored. All of that because God loved his son and God loves his sons. You see, Romans 8.29 tells us that Jesus Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. He, he was the first son of God to resurrect from the dead. And that now all the sons of God, the children of God, if you will, would also resurrect from death in at least some kind of fashion. God's plan in all this was because he loved his son and he loves his sons and all of you that turn to him and believe you are his sons. So God loved his son Jesus, we know, but God crazy loves you. You can't imagine how much God loved Jesus, but you also can't imagine how much he loves you. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. I, I need you to see, before we even get into how to enter this and embrace this promise and how to start living from this new altar of Jesus Christ that gives forever forgiveness and new life, I, I need you to just erase the lies that one, that God doesn't care about you. God crazy loves you. God has been for you since before the beginning of time. If you don't think God cares about you, you're believing a lie. If, if you look at the cross of Jesus and you and you have a big question mark in your mind like, why, why does that matter? Why does a, a, a guy dying on a cross 2,000 years ago, how does that have any bearing on my life? You don't understand the gravity. You don't understand what was at stake. You don't understand what we're guilty of. And if there's any doubt that what he did was to cover our just and righteous punishment, and you take those lies and you use those as excuses to reject God. Just, just don't do it. And know this. I, I challenge you to call into question your doubts right now. And rather than doubt God's love for you, why don't you doubt your faith in yourself? Why don't you doubt your doubt that God loves you? Romans 5, 8, verse, starting in verse 6 we were utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people will not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, 
God loves you and he's proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt because he sent his one and only beloved son, the son in whom he was proud of, the one that he was well pleased. He sent that son to die on a cross for someone and that someone is you and that someone is me. It was our guilt and our shame and our humiliation and our condemnation and our death. All of that Jesus Christ took to the cross and died for us so that we could be forgiven and restored and healed and made whole. Now, this is the gift of salvation. This is a gift from a God who loves perfectly, without inhibition, without restraint. But I got to be honest with you. This is a gift that will cost you every worthless thing in your life. I thank God for that revelation not that long ago when I realized that the gift of salvation costs us every worthless thing. Let me show you this in Colossians. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Okay, let's go back to the altar of Abraham and there... As we already stated, there is everything that means anything to him. His most precious thing, Isaac. His future, everything. If you stood before God today, and you had an altar before you, what would need to be on that altar? I know it may sound like a weird question, a weird term, but think about this. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, that little Smeagol Gollum character, you know? The precious. You remember that, right? All through the movie, the precious is what guided him. And in the end, he died with the precious. He paid the ultimate price for that precious thing. So here's the question. What's the thing that's on your altar right now that's keeping you from giving everything to God? What's keeping you from fully trusting God? From having an an absolute and yet ordinary faith? What's holding you back? You see, I've heard it said that we all worship something. I can't remember who the, the Puritan was who declared that, that men are idol factories. But we always are worshiping something. And I've, I've, I've seen it in my own life, seen it in the lives of others. We, we worship money. We worship family. We worship our kids. We worship our careers. And, and it gets darker. Sometimes we worship our addictions, drugs, sex, what have you. And all of those things lead to a lifestyle that, that, that is a lifestyle of worship. And so let me ask you, what is it in your life that's so powerful on you and so important to you that it's worth calling God a liar and rejecting God's gift of salvation, of forgiveness, of restoration, of being totally remade? You see, that's the problem that people have. A lot of folks try religion. They try church. They try faith, what have you. And what they don't understand is, is that faith is totally new. Jesus didn't die to make you a cleaned up old thing. He died to make you a new creation, a new creature, Paul writes in Corinthians. And so a lot of people try and be 
a, a Christian or be in religion, but they basically are just trying to add Jesus to an old way of life. So they're still doing the same old things, but they, they don't, and they're just kind of making Jesus tag along, and that's what's happening in their mind. Well, what I'm telling you is that the pathway to Christ, the way that Jesus taught, was a way that left all of that behind and pursued God, that went after God, that wanted more of God. As crazy as that sounds, in a culture that wants more money and more attractions and more distractions, here God says that he satisfied. So I'm, I'm asking you, what is between you and salvation? What's between you and hope? Or what's between you and righteousness? You may have already committed your life to Christ, but you are in a big hole right now in your life. What's between you and closeness with God, relationship with God? So yeah, what would be on your altar? And would you choose to follow Jesus? And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. You will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives present tense, all the fullness of God in a human body. You see, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's awesome that Jesus Christ died for us, but it's even more awesome that he's alive for us, that he's alive in us, that he's alive through us. You see, this is Resurrection Sunday, and yeah, we need to talk about the cross and the cost of our sin and the cost of all that's broken in us, but we also need to turn to the tomb, the tomb that is empty and realize that the one who lived again is the one who lives in us, and that's what Christianity is it's not about dying although it begins there it's about living it's about living something brand new something that follows jesus christ close and dear it's about a brand new life that has a whole brand new way of living there's a there's a new owner's manual we call that thing the bible we need to read that thing think about that thing paraphrase it memorize it and most of all we need to share our discoveries as we plow through and mine the word of god for its amazing truths but that's not all. Man, there's the Holy Spirit. You read the Bible without the Holy Spirit. All it will do is make you proud. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you. You and I need to come to the Word of God in prayer. Say, God, teach me your amazing, powerful, timeless, eternal words. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. And i got to be honest, of all the things that I hate about our current situation and not being able to meet together, this to me is the most precious truth that the Holy Spirit lives in all of us. And we now depend upon him in ways we we haven't as much many are now realizing hey the holy spirit can lead me into the word and if that's the only thing that comes out of this is that more men and women realize they have a direct line to god and they don't need preachers like me to provide that then that will be worth all of this trouble so this new life has a new owner's manual and it has a spirit to it and it has a path to it Man, for a long time, I struggled with discipleship. And, and just last year, God taught me something about discipleship. You know, because, because I had all these programs in my mind. You know, we, we need to make sure everyone knows these 13 doctrines or 16 doctrines or 300,406 and one doctrine, whatever. And you're like, that makes no sense. Exactly. 
here's what we need. This is what people need to be discipled into. We need to learn to believe what Jesus believed. The average Christian doesn't believe what Jesus believed. Jesus, we need to read his teachings. We need to dig into the Sermon on the Mount. We need to to follow the Holy Spirit as he teaches us. We need to look at his example closely. We need to watch as he's healing people, multiplying food, uh, curing those, and and changing minds. And we need to ask ourselves, what did Jesus believe? I've actually started a, a journal of that myself. What did Jesus believe? Because that's what we need to believe, what our Lord and Savior believed. And another thing, so this new life is a new manual, a new spirit, a new path, but it's also new expectations. It's time for us to realize that now that we are believers and the life, the resurrected life who overcame death lives in us, now nothing's impossible. Anything can happen. The power of God can enter any situation. And while we're going through this this trial right now with this virus and these infections and, and all the other accoutrements to that... We need to realize that our God is one. He's working. Even though you can't see it, even though you can't feel it, as the song goes, he's working. And he's working miracles. He's working the impossible. And he's going to do the impossible in so many lives. And if you're out there and you need God to work the impossible in your life, hand up! Woo! I need a miracle over here. Now's the day. That's what the resurrection's about because Jesus Christ raising from the dead is a miracle like no other. And that miracle set the tone for what Christianity is. Everything we believe is based on a resurrection from the dead. How can we not expect life and power and the miraculous every day forward? See, that point right there was really hard because if if we'd have been together, some people, and I won't mention their names, they would have come unglued right there. But... We're not together yet. Hugs are coming. What's the point? Michael, you've gotten excited. You've ranted. You've raved. That's what you do. (laughs) Jesus Christ's resurrection will grant eternal life to all who repent, believe, and follow Jesus. First things first. You can have a new life today. Does your life stink? Is it in a hole? Do you feel like that the weight of the world is crusting you? Well, you can have new life. You can't have old life with Jesus in it. Now, let me make that really clear. You can't just have that old life with all these old idols and all the old things it worships with Jesus in it, but you can't have new life. And here's what needs to happen. You need to right now turn to God and pray to Him and ask Him to save you. The Bible says, whosoever will call, be saved. Let me, let me give you an example of a prayer. And you could pray this with me right now. I'll give you a break. You can just repeat after me. It could go something like this. God, I confess my sins and sinfulness. I know only you can make a difference in my life right now. I surrender to your incredible love, salvation, and life. You are awesome. Thanks for saving me. I'm so excited to live this life with and for you. And you could say in Jesus' name, amen. Now, simple prayer. But you put your heart in that. You put all the stuff that's between you and God on that altar. And you let God take all that worthless stuff. 
Next week we'll talk about how that he takes all that worthless stuff and redeems it and returns it to you in ways you could never have hoped, just like he did Abraham. But that's next Sunday. Now, if you prayed that prayer or you need to talk to someone about matters of faith, text the word MORE, M-O-R-E, MORE, to 307-224-4404. Text that word in and, and send us your email and we'll get your phone number and your name. And then we'll call you and we'll try and help you or we'll send you some materials if you need that. But I just don't want you out there doing faith alone. I want you to realize that a God who loves you also has a bunch of brothers and sisters around you that are ready to love you as well. Now for you believers out there who've been in a rut, okay? Dude, our Savior's alive. Quoting uh, Carrie Cobbs there just for a second, okay? Dude, our Savior's alive. If you are living, if I am living anything less than excited, pumped up, miraculous life, I'm missing it. My friends, maybe we need to have a come to Jesus meeting too. And just declare the glory of a God who loves us. Maybe we need to get back into the owner's manual. Maybe we need to call up the Holy Spirit and say, hey, I I need help understanding all of this. Maybe we need to say, all right, what did Jesus believe? I believe that. Maybe we need to up our expectations and realize that our God can do and will do and is doing the impossible right now. Right now I'm going to ask Michael to come and he's going to share with you a a session for communion. We're going to do communion together. And in that communion we are celebrating. We are celebrating that the blood's been shed and the body's been broken so that you and I can live. Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to be here with you today on this Resurrection Easter Sunday. I know that we are separated, that you are watching this from your home, from your phone, with your family members, with friends, wherever you are. I'm just thankful that we can spend this time together. This time, I'm able to present to you communion. What does communion mean on an Easter Sunday? What does communion mean in this social distancing time in our country and throughout the world. I combed through the scriptures and I wanted to see some times that Jesus was in solitude, away from the people, away from the crowds, and spent time by himself with his Father. I found combing through the scriptures are six times, six major times, that he was in solitude with the Father. I'm not going to go in any specific order, so I'm just going to bring out these six of these. One of them was to prepare for a major task. Luke chapter 4 says after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. After he was tempted by Satan, he began his public ministry. He was preparing for something major in his life. The second time was to recharge after hard work. In Mark chapter 6, the scripture says Jesus sent to the 12 disciples out to do the ministries. When they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them and bring rest. Another time was to work through grief. Matthew chapter 14. After Jesus learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, he went away by himself. And yes, even the Son of God grieves. The fourth one that I found, before making an important decision, Jesus sought solitude. In Luke chapter 6, Early in the ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. 
And the next day, he chose his 12 disciples. The fifth one was a focus on prayer. Many times in Jesus' ministry, he needed to be alone and away from the crowd and spend time with his Heavenly Father. And the last, which leads us to the Resurrection Sunday. In time of distress, in Luke chapter 22, hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives and went a short distance away from his disciples to pray. He was in great emotional agony, knowing what was about to come. I read of a man who was not content in his spiritual walk. He wanted something to change in his life and his relationship with his Heavenly Father. He asked his mentor to come with him to do a spiritual retreat. That they would be able to focus on the scriptures. That they would be able to focus and meditate upon what the Word of God has to say to be able to help direct his life. The first day that him and his mentor got together, the mentor and him assigned him some scriptures. And the, the assignment was to go out and meditate upon those scriptures and contemplate and think about what the Word of God has to say. So the man did that. He came back the next day ready to discuss, ready to get ready for what was going to be a great revelation in this guy's life. And the mentor didn't ask any questions. He didn't ask questions about the, the scriptures or the contemplation or anything that he learned. He gave him another assignment, more scriptures, and they departed. The man went out, contemplated the scriptures, read the scriptures, studied the scriptures, and wanted to be ready for the next day's discussion. The third day, the mentor and the man gets together. The mentor doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't ask him what he's being, was being revealed to him from the Holy Spirit. But here's more assignments, more scriptures, and go out. For fourth day, he comes along and the patient's irritated. He's upset. He wants to know, mentor, if you are trying to teach me, what are you trying to teach me? And the mentor asks him one question, which I think you and I could be struggling with at this very moment. How was your loneliness? How was your alone time with God? Remembering or forgetting is part of the human struggle. Jesus understood our ability to forget even the most important things to us and to hang on the things that we should be putting behind us. So he helped us by instituting a practice that calls us to remember something central to our being. His sacrifice, his life for the forgiveness of our sins, which gives us the means to put behind us the past that we should forget. We practice by taking communion in order to remember. When was the last time you called to memory Jesus giving his body to be broken, shedding of his blood to save you from your sins? Remember what he has done for us, gives us a reason and the means to forget our past sins and to set hope in what he has accomplished for you and I. That's why when, we first, when the first Christians got together, they observed communion to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And that is why we are able to, we're able to do this on, on Easter Day. Every day we get together, we could take communion. 1 Corinthians says this, If I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, 
The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, which he had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, today is a holy day because this is the day that the Lord has made. And this is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may pick up one of these from our leadership teams, our pastoral staff. You may be taking communion with, with Wonder Bread and, and, and Juicy Juice. The point is to remember what Christ did for you. That we examine our lives and we examine our souls and where we are with Christ. This is a holy occasion because what Christ was willing to do, he was willing to go into solitude, to examine, to look at his life. And I pray that you examine yours. I pray that there are things in your life that you need to repent of, that this is the time to do so. I pray that we remember that Jesus' body was, 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 was crushed. The sins of the world were hanging upon our Savior in order for you and I to have life. We're going to take the bread. As the scripture says, we do this in remembrance of Christ. This is his body. This is the representation of our Lord and our Savior. The juice represents his blood. The blood that was shed for you. The blood that was shed for me. That we can have eternal life when we put our faith in him. And I crush the cup to remind me the sins of my life have been atoned for. That the evil one has nothing can come against me. Because Jesus is my great advocator. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I God, I pray to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, for the day. I thank you for Easter, Heavenly Father. That we were able to celebrate the resurrection. That we were able to celebrate who you are. Lord, that you defeated death. And Lord, thank you for letting us remember Thank you, Lord, for letting us remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we look at communion that we remember and we celebrate and we proclaim who you are, God. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.